Buy low, sell high. Very easy to say, but not always so easy to do. For example, high interest rates are hurting the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices in a lot of markets are falling, even for many of the best assets. So it's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting fundrise.com pockets, fundrise.com pockets. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at fundrise.com flagship. This is a paid advertisement. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. You're trying to close on your next rental. So why is your insurance company dragging its feet? With long lead times and never-ending paper forms, it's no wonder it takes forever to finally get a policy. Modern investors deserve better. They deserve Steadily.com. At Steadily.com, you'll get fast, affordable landlord insurance available online 24-7 in just a few clicks. You can even get next-day coverage, which takes just minutes, by the way, to obtain. And you can do it all from your phone. Steadily was founded by landlords who created insurance products tailored to the unique needs of this industry. It's their sole focus, and that's why landlords nationwide consistently rate them 4.8 out of 5 stars. So whether you've got a single-family, short-term, or multifamily portfolio, Steadily.com can secure the best coverage at the best price to protect your properties. Discover how Steadily can save you both time and money on your rental property insurance. Visit Steadily.com for a commitment-free quote tailored to your needs today. Welcome to On The Market and happy Thanksgiving to everyone. I hope you enjoyed a wonderful Thanksgiving, and I hope that you enjoy the day after Thanksgiving even more, where you get to eat all those delicious leftovers, hopefully piling everything onto a giant sandwich and then going into a food coma for the rest of the day. For today's episode, we're actually going to be replaying an episode that we recorded last year where me, Kathy, Henry, and James made predictions about 2023. And now that the year is winding down, we wanted to be accountable and share with you what we thought was going to happen in 2023. And you can see for yourself what we got right and what we got wrong. And we're choosing to do this right now because next week we are going to be airing our 2024 predictions. So listen to today's episode and you can evaluate our credentials for making predictions, see how well we did last year, and that should give you some context for our predictions episode that is coming next week. Okay, so hopefully you enjoy this replay episode and join us again next week for our 2024 predictions. Remember when you had to pay to get a Leeds phone number? It was like the dark ages. Until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high-quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do-not-call list. 
Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com BP. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago, before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my 9-to-5 job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home, and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Top real estate investors love to talk about how they save so much on taxes. But how are they able to build rental property empires while skirting Uncle Sam? 1031 exchanges. 1031 exchanges allow you to defer capital gains taxes while you sell an investment property, exchanging your old property for a bigger, better one and avoiding the tax man while you do it. And that's where First American Exchange Company comes in. They're the leaders in 1031 exchanges. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just starting, First American Exchange can help you with simple rental property exchanges, complex commercial real estate investments, reverse exchanges, and more. Don't let your taxes eat into your profits. Visit First American Exchange Company at firstexchange.com or call them at 800-556-2520. That's firstexchange.com or 800-556-2520. Keep your money in your pocket and propel your portfolio further at firstexchange.com. First American Exchange Company does not provide tax or legal advice. Consult your financial, real estate, tax, or legal advisor about your circumstances. First American Exchange Company. Safe, smart, secure. Welcome to On The Market. My name is Dave Meyer. I'll be your host, and I am joined by three wonderful panelists. First up, we have Henry Washington. Henry, what's going on? What's up, Dave? Glad to be here, man. Good to see you again. You too. We also have James Daner. James, how you been? Uh, I'm doing well. We, we have a sunny day in October in Seattle, which is very rare, so it's a good day. Cherish it. I am. <laughs> Kathy, how are you? Probably sunny and enjoying Malibu because it's always nice. It's been foggy, but I'm, uh, you guys, I'm still recovering from BPCon. I don't know about you, but try, trying to keep up with all these youngsters. <laughs> Kathy is completely lying, by the way. She was leading the charge. There's no way yes. you were hanging in with us. You were absolutely <laughs> driving all of the fun we had at BPCon. All right. So today we are going to talk about this. This show gives me a little bit of anxiety because we are going to 
try and make some forecasts about the 2023 housing market, which, you know, normally housing market years, it's not that hard to predict. It usually just goes up a little bit. But the last couple of years have gotten pretty tricky, but we're going to do it anyway, because even though none of us know exactly what's going to happen, this type of forecasting and discussion of sort of the elements and variables that go into housing prices could help all of us form a investing hypothesis for next year and make better investing decisions. Sound good to you guys? I should have grabbed my crystal ball. It's in the other room. <laughs> I know. Mine, mine is very broken right now, so unfortunately. <laughs> I think everyone's is broken. All right. It's time to make these very frightening predictions for the 2023 housing prices. Who is bold enough to go first? Henry, I'm looking at you, man. Absolutely not. <laughs> Are we talking rates? No. I want you to guess year over year, one year from today. Where are we? What day is this? It's October 12th. One year from today, year over year, housing market prices on a national level. Where are we going to be right now? We are at about 7% from 2021 to 2022. Where are we going to be in 2023? What do you got, James? So I, I I do believe that we are going to slide steadily backwards and that we're going to be looking at about a 9% drop. We've just seen too much appreciation. I think, you know, we were up, what, no, nearly 10, 12% last year. And then from 2018 to 2020, we saw over 30% growth in home prices. And so the growth has just been too large. And I, I, I think it's going to pull back and we're going to see about a 10% to uh, year over year drop, nine to ten percent year over year drop from where we are at today. All right, Henry, I'm going to make you answer this. No, I mean I, I want to answer it. I think that's a, I mean, I think that's aggressive. Maybe it's because you're you're the Seattle market is the one having the the largest pullback right now compared to to the rest of the markets in the country. Uh, and so you're, but not joking, right? You're feeling it more than everybody else is, right? Cause you're so heavily invested in that market. Uh, it, where I'm the opposite, we're still seeing rent. We're still seeing, sorry, uh, we're still seeing home price growth here, right? So, um, I don't know. I think on a national scale, it's probably going to come down, but you don't know, 5%, I feel like it's still even a lot, but that's, that's my guess. Wow. So if I came in around seven and a half, I'd be right between. <laughs> you <and your> st- <laughs> I'm going to stick with my seven and a half. I played this game on car rides, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't there a movie about that? Like the number 24, number 23, where it's like everything comes down to that number. That's that's you, Kathy. <laughs> there it is. Seven and a half. Um, and you know, I'm, I kind of don't care what the national number is. I, I really don't care because, I, you know, look at Henry. He's like, I don't care. You know, I, I, I'm not in those markets that are going to have a pullback. If you, if you got into Boise or Austin or Seattle a year, two years ago, you made a lot of money and some of that's going to get pulled back. It's not the worst thing in the world for the person who owns the home because if you hold it long enough, it'll it'll rebound eventually. Um, it's obviously really hard for people who are trying to sell right now better price your property right. But if you are in markets, I mean, Tampa is another market where prices went up a lot, but there's still so much demand. They're not really seeing the pullback uh, that that some of the other cities are that that saw such massive gains over the last year. Kathy, you're absolutely right. And we do want to allow you to have your public service announcement that there is no national housing market, which is true. You're absolutely right. 
But just to clarify, because I have to hold you to this, was that a positive seven and a half percent? Oh, it was a or negative, a negative seven. seven and negative seven percent. and a half nationwide. Okay, just making sure. Nationwide. And then I think that's going to come from certain areas going down 20%. Totally. Uh, where other air areas might go up a little or stay flat. Uh, but overall, it, it yeah, I think it'll be a national number will be negative. So let's say seven and a half percent because I'm right in the middle. And it's a safe place. One one thing that that I think everyone should know is typically when housing starts sliding backwards, the more expensive markets actually kind of start going first. And then it does catch up across the board because at the end of the day, rates are up going to be up like 75 percent of cost of money from they were 12 months ago. And it's just something to pay attention to because when money gets increased that rapidly, nothing is protected. I mean, they're doing that on purpose. If they're trying to put the us into a recession, it's going to have impact across the board. Because Seattle used to be a more affordable market. We were actually one of the always one of the last markets to get hit. You know, like in 2008, we were one of the tail end uh, areas to start deflating. But now it's became an expensive market. So we were one of the first to go off. So always check the trends in your historical trends too in your neighborhoods. What Kathy said was a completely right. Look at where you're investing, not the national. National will throw it way off. And then just check those trends, see what it's done in other prior recessions during that time. And it will kind of give you some predictability. And then just check the growth. If the growth was rapid, it's probably going to come back a little bit quicker. Well said. And and there's never been more data available for people too. Like you can go on just regular websites like Zillow or Redfin or Realtor.com and see what's happening in your market in terms of inventory, days on market, pricing. Um, so there's really no excuse not to do it. It's free and you can get a lot of this information right there um, and, and look up just what Kathy and James were saying. I think what throws a wrench in those plans though is that there's going to be less competition out there, but there's still going to be people who can afford to buy single family homes and there's still going to be a shortage of those homes. And so even though the interest rates are higher, there's still going to be a subset of people who can afford to pay those interest rates and who are going to want to buy homes because they can get a little bit better price and there's less competition out there, which is going to help the sales numbers. I, it's such a great point. 552,000 homes sold in August. You know, We're still on track for for 5 million, over 5 million this year, which was kind of the average over the last decade, if you take out COVID. So we're, sale, homes are still selling. You know, they're, they're, it's definitely down from the crazy frenzy of the last couple of years, but it's sort of down to somewhat normal. Would you guys agree with that? Absolutely. I think as soon as mortgage rates stop, like get a little bit more stable, people will do it. It's just like every day, it's just so volatile right now. I think that probably is people a little afraid. But at some point, people are going to have to get used to it. Because I personally, I think even if the Fed starts cutting rates, we're not going down to 4% again anytime soon. I mean, no. we're going to have to live with something in the fives, um, probably. Um, so I, I think people are just going to have to get used to it at some point and start buying again. Mm -hmm. Okay. I'm going to make my guess. It's right in the middle. I mean, it's there's not that much variance. I think we all sort of think it's kind of the same thing. So I'm going to just go with 6%. And since Jamil's not here, six percent negative, six percent negative. Yes, I definitely okay. think that national housing market's going down. I'm going to give Jamil a positive twelve percent as his <laughs> as his estimate because he declined to be here, and he's on the record saying he thinks the housing market's going on twelve percent. Um, all right, well that that's all fun. As Kathy and uh, Kathy said, like, listen, it, the housing, the national housing market, totally agree. It's it doesn't really matter. It's like sort of for the the headlines, and it is fun to sort of just guess and 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 see how we do on these things, but. Um, I'm curious in, in moving on to some more sort of 
anecdotal things that you all are thinking about. I want your hot take for 2023. This can be about the housing market, the economy, the state of the world. What's like a unique thing that you think is going to happen next year that will impact the the uh, the lives of investors, I guess I would say. Anyone want to go first? Oh my gosh, I'll jump in. Yes, Kathy, you say? go. Oh, you yeah. guys, you guys, you got to understand, you you understand the difference between a seller's market and a buyer's market. And and people don't, they, they mess this up all the time, buying in a seller's market and selling in a buyer's market. And oftentimes I'll talk to a room and say, do you know what a seller's market is? And they'll say, yeah, it's a great time to buy. And, you know, so I just want to be super clear that a seller's market means the seller has the power. They can do whatever they want. They can put a house on the market with nothing fixed, with all kinds of problems and say, you know what? Um, you don't even get to do inspections. This is the price and then get people overbidding. That's a seller's market. The seller has the power. That's what we've had for two years. It was a tough market. If you're a savvy investor, you could still work around that. But man, if you were flipping houses, what a time. You've got the power. If you're a home builder, like we've been Wow. Got people lining up for your homes. It is shifting. It's shifting to a buyer's market. And this is the time to buy. And it's so funny because people are freaking out. It's like, it's your turn. It's <laughs> <laughs> such you know, a good way to put it. <laughs> it's, it's, if you're buying, you know, if you've bought and you're holding on and, and, you know, rents are solid, you're good. You know, this is the time to get in there and not have all that competition. You have the power. You get to negotiate. It's a, it's a, you know, a buyer's market. I don't know how long that'll last because I do think eventually the Fed's going to get what they want. They're going to slow things down and that's going to, uh, again, bring potentially mortgage rates down. I really think they will not, not lower than 5%, maybe slightly or if you pay points. But as soon as those rates come down, what do you think is going to happen? <laughs> People are going to come pouring in again as buyers. So you have this window to take advantage of what might be a small opportunity to to play in a buyer's market as a buyer. I love it. That's a very well good way to put it, Kathy. Yeah, I think it's it's just crazy that people are like yearning for what was going on last year. Like no one wanted to buy last year. And now they're like, oh, but interest rates are high. And now it's going down. It's like everyone was complaining about it last year. So like, are you ever, like I think a lot of people are just scared to get in the market at all. Um, and, and that's the problem. But as Kathy said, good opportunity right now. Henry, what's your hot take? Uh, my hot take is surprise, surprise, uh, me being a single family and small multifamily investor. I think single family homes become a very, very hot commodity and something everybody wishes they kept more of or could get at the prices they're able to get them at right now because of the supply and demand issues. So you look at the interest rate hikes and you look at inflation. At some point, I think those things either level out, maybe start to come down. I don't know if it does in this year, but at some point that's what's, it'll, it, it'll become normalized, right? Like you said, that people will continue to buy, but our supply and demand problem didn't get fixed through all of this, right? There's still a need for housing. I got approached by a hedge fund just last week asking me if I had any deals, anything in this area that I would be willing to sell them, right? And I think their thought is the same, is that these single-family homes are going to be in in need and that uh, over the next, I, I think a year is tough to predict, to, to say, but over the next couple of years, I think definitely um, they're going to be 
uh, more valuable and in a commodity that a lot of people want to be able to get their hands on. And you're right, Kathy, like this, it's your time to buy. And so we are doing just that. We're buying and I'm more bullish on single family homes than I have been in the past. I've typically been flipping all of my single families, but even just today we closed on literally right before this. I had my, t- my title, uh, my title company here in my office and we closed on a single family home that we're going to keep. Um, and we may start to look more aggressively at not flipping all of the singles and keeping them. Um, because the people who own the single family homes are going to be in the best position to make the profit as well as um, the interest rates right now. There are some people who aren't buying maybe because they can't, maybe because they just don't want, maybe because they don't want to, but then they have to live somewhere. So they're renting and rents are still doing well here. And so I think owning that single family home, you're going to be able to get outstanding rents and uh, I think it's going to be a more valuable asset to everyone than it seems that it is right now. All right. I like it. James, what do you got? Something controversial, maybe? So I think um, 2023 is going to be a pretty big shock year for people. And I, I, I'm actually predicting that defaults are going to be extremely high. Really? Uh, not percentage-wise. And, and But in a different sector, I actually think it's going to be in the investment sector, not the residential homeowner sector. I think over the last 12 to 24 months, we've seen a lot of uh, FOMO and greed in the investment space. And there's been a lot of purchasing of bad assets or assets that had artificial performance. And and what's going to happen is if the market corrects down, which I believe will happen, you're going to see people needing a bailout of these deals because they had bad practices. They did bad, they rushed investments. They were packing performance because they just wanted to get into the market. And I do think there is going to be a graveyard of investment properties and opportunities out there. And that's really what we're gearing up to buy. We're actually gearing up to buy half-finished townhome sites, fix and flip projects that are red-tagged and stuck in in, a tour apart. And I think you could see in the short-term rental market, people walking away from properties because they were putting three and a half percent down in markets for all for the appreciation. And and, and those investment engines are slowing down. The the high-yield investments right now are not yielding the same growth, right? Flipping is not doing that well. Development is not doing that well on on the margins in in a lot of markets. Short-term rentals are down too. These high-yield investments are going to deflate backwards. And I don't think people uh, accounted for that or, you know, they had all stars in their eyes rather rather than balanced look at portfolios. And I think this is going to be a massive opportunity for investors to purchase bad investments that need to be restabilized and turned into profitable ventures. Um, I, I think this is going to be a big deal in the next 12 months. And mm-hmm. I know personally I am geared up for it and gearing up for it because it's just the writing's on the wall for a lot of people. Uh, bad underwriting, greedy underwriting, bad plans, and that equates to inexpensive in money in a lot of these deals. That creates a recipe for disaster. But they will need to be purchased, and that's where investors are going to have a lot of opportunity. If they have the right plans, right systems in play, and the right capital in the door, there's going to be a lot of opportunity out there. A hundred percent. All right. Yeah. Multifamily particularly. Yeah. I just – there was just insane underwriting. Oh, talk about stacking performance. They were just stacked. People were just pumping every little yield into these deals – and it, and if you do it that way, that's where the risk is, and it's going to hurt on the way out the door. It just you know if it, it, it's all market timing at that point, and you have missed the market. It is that 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 game is over. That's really interesting because when you, yeah, when you said that you're going to see for for a lot of defaults, I was kind of surprised because when you look at home buyer 
positions, like American homebuyers are pretty good position to service their debt right now. But what you're saying makes total sense. There's a lot of people who got pretty greedy. I mean, we did that show a couple months ago. Kathy, you said you were looking at two multifamily, right? Syndications that were just like crazy with the, some of the assumptions that we're making. And that was after, you know, that was like people were still doing those types of deals, even after the writing was sort of on the wall and you could see that the market yeah. was sort of changing gears. It's still happening. It's it's still happening. I mean, on, on this last one, uh, again, I won't say who it is, but it's somebody who's on a lot of podcasts and they were using, <laughs> um, I don't know if you know. And their initials is, are. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, and, and when we underwrit it, underwrit, is that a word? Underwrote, uh, it, they were using the reserves as, as like a return, not a return, a return on capital, not even a return of, what? Uh, like basically saying that was profit. And, and like, well, first of all, you're, you've got reserves set aside because you're probably going to need them. If you have an older building, I guarantee you're going to need those reserves, but to, but to put them in the pro forma as, as if it's profit. I, I, oh boy. You know, I was just like, oh boy. Yeah. It'll be interesting. Wow. Um, yeah, James. So, so that, uh, actually, uh, goes well with my, my take. And I was sort of going to be a little bit more specific. I think there is going to be, I've said this a little bit. I think there is a storm brewing in the short term rental market specifically. If you look at the way those markets grew, it was even faster, like not not necessarily saying short term rentals in cities, but like in vacation hotspots have gone absolutely crazy over the last couple of years. We saw demand for second homes go up 90%. So that combined with the increased demand from investors just sent those prices through the roof. Like you said, people put 3.5% down and they were... We're, we're seeing sort of this perfect storm where the supply of, of, of short-term rentals has continually gone up. I think it was up like 20% year over year. So there's way, way more short-term rentals than there have ever been at a point where if we hit a recession and we continue to see these, these, uh, inflation that's hurting people's spending power, where discretionary spending like things and going to a short term rental is probably going to go down. And so you could see the whole industry have more supply, but less revenue. And that could put really people in a bad spot. And I'm not saying this is going to be everyone. I think, you know, people who have, who are experienced operators, people who are, have good, unique properties that stand out can still do well. But I personally believe there's going to be very good opportunity in these markets over the next couple of years, like James said. Um, and so I, I'm excited about that. The other thing I think that's happening in the short term rental market that is sort of this like slow moving freight train is like all the regulation that's going on in, in short term rentals. More and more big cities are starting to regulate. Uh, like Dallas just regulate. I think Atlanta is starting to put in regulations. And I think that trend is really going to continue. And we're going to see a sort of an erosion of opportunity in the big cities. Um, people who have grandfathered in will probably do really well because there's going to be constrained supply. But I think that's, that's going to be a really, uh, interesting thing to watch. Um, if more and more, you know, if housing prices stay this high, more and more municipalities are probably going to be tempted to try and solve the housing problem with 
regulating short-term rentals, which makes no sense to me, but I think they'll try and do it anyway. Well, I mean, it, 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 it might make no sense in, in some smaller, but like we just got back from San Diego. I mean, there's tons and tons of Airbnbs out there and they're starting to you know, I- impose more restrictions. The same reason why Atlanta's doing it is because tons of people were buying property. They're turning them into Airbnbs. And there's, again, there's a supply and demand problem, right? And so the best way they can think to get more housing on the market the quickest is, right, you impose these, these, you know, taxes and rules and things and allowing, only allowing people to have a certain amount of Airbnb property that they own. And that frees up housing almost immediately. Um, you know, is it, is it the best move, the right move? I don't, I don't know. I'm not, that's not for me to say, but it is absolutely happening. And that, that's why I think people need to be careful. And just kind of like as an education piece, we're not saying that like Airbnb is bad. Don't do it. I always, I always say like, if you're going to buy an Airbnb property, you want to be able to buy it and have more than one exit in the event that some regulations change, right? We just bought a property that we're, we bought solely to use as Airbnb, but we also bought it at a point where if we renovate it and we don't get the return that we want, we can sell it and still make a profit, right? So I have two exits there. Um, but not everybody's doing that, especially what we saw over the last year and a half to two years is people had all this extra money. They didn't have all these restrictions on where they had to live. They started buying second properties and Airbnbs and all different places. And they weren't really evaluating like what the numbers were going to do if they didn't have to do it, use it as an Airbnb, if they had to pivot and do something else, because they were just like, well, it's appreciating. It'll appreciate it. It'll be fine. And that's not what we're seeing anymore. So just be careful about the markets you're investing in and be careful about the numbers and have more than one exit. Because if you've got a second exit and that exit is positive, then you're fine. Yeah. Great hack around that, by the way, is buying uh, short-term rentals just outside of that perimeter of where they'll be illegal. That's what we have. We're two houses away from where those rules are. So, you know, we're, we're, we're still slower. It's definitely still slower right now. Um, and then also, if you are stuck with a short-term rental that's not performing and you're upside down, uh, really consider some of the shared vacation ownership because it makes vacation home uh, purchases really cheap if you split it between eight owners. And uh, and some municipalities don't want that either because then you've got all these vacation homes with multiple owners. But again, if you just stay right outside the city perimeter – uh, then you usually allowed you're usually allowed to do it. That's good advice, and and places that need it to to survive the economy. I think Avery said that on a recent show too. It's like if you're in a you know a tourism dependent destination, like you know I have a I have a Airbnb in a in a ski town where there's very few hotels, which kind of makes no sense. But like they need to to drive the economy, they absolutely need short term rentals. And so while they've raised taxes, which is fine, you know, like they, you know, they're not eliminating it. Um, but just, just to want to say, Henry, like I, I get the, the logic of why they're doing it, but short term rentals, even though it's gone up so much, make up less than 1% of all the housing stock in the U S. So it's like, it could help, but it's like, it's a short term fix and maybe it will help short term, but it's not going to like address the long term issues, structural issues with with housing supply in the U.S. That's hotel lobbyist money going to work. Hotels don't like losing money. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. The Hilton's the Hilton's Air, right. Airbnb needs their own lobbyists. Oh, I bet they do. I bet I'm sure they have it. <laughs> 
All right. Well, we could talk about this all day, and I'm sure throughout the next year, we will be talking about the 2023 housing market. But we do have to wind this down because, Kathy, we have a we have a special request of you. A oh. listener reached out with a question just for you, which we will get to after this quick break. All right. Well, Kathy, you are on the hot spot. You're in the hot seat right now. We had a a listener named Gregory Schwartz reach out and said, this question is in the title. The title was, will increasing 10-year treasury yields, we talked about this a little bit, decompress cap rates? And I'll let you explain that, Kathy. But he said, the question's in the title. I'd like to hear from the panel, but mostly Kathy Fecky, you're the favorite. I believe she mentioned something about this relationship in the most recent podcast. I read an article that the historical average spread between 10-year cap rate and multifamily, 10-year yield, excuse me, and multifamily cap rate has been 2.15%. Kathy, enlighten us. Well, it's a it's such a good question because if you could get four or five percent, if wherever the ten year ends up, uh, that's like you said earlier, that's a pretty safe bet. You're, you've got the U.S. government backing your investment, uh, and they haven't failed yet. Uh, so if you find if somebody's got, I think. I think at one of the conferences I was at, someone was selling a two cap in Houston. So that's going to be a lot harder to sell. <laughs> Basically, a cap rate is like a, a, a multiple. It's it's a it's a formula that does a lot of things in commercial real estate. But basically, it helps you understand like how much revenue or income you're buying as a ratio to to your expense. So basically, the easiest one is like a ten cap, right? If you're buying ten cap, you're basically getting. Uh, it will take you 10 years to repay that investment. If you get a five cap, it will take you 20 years to repay your investment, generally speaking. And so um, when cap rates are low, that's good for a seller because they're getting way more money. When cap rates are high, it's good for a buyer because they're buying more income for less money relatively. Um, so that's, I think, what they're asking. And just, just generally speaking, cap rates are very low right now. Um, and no one sets cap rate. It's sort of like this market dependent thing where just like a single family home, a, a seller and a, and a buyer sort of have to come to agreement. And right now, I don't know what the average cap rate is in the country. Um, it, it really depends market to market, it depends on the asset class. It depends on, uh, you know, competition, what rents are. It depends on all these things. But generally speaking, they're pretty low right now, just like everything. It's sort of been a, a seller's market. And so my guess is that what Gregory's asking, right, is like, will it become more of a mark? Will it become more of a buyer's market in the multifamily space? Yeah. And that's what's what I was saying earlier is, is exciting is when you're in a seller's market and everybody's bidding for the same property and prices go up, your return goes down, your, your cash flow is down. So for the past few years, it's been really hard to find properties that cash flow or the, the cash flow has definitely gone down. And that's kind of the cap rate has gone down. Uh, as in single family, at least, as prices come down, generally, then you have more cash flow, except the interest rate is a problem. So I I would say that in commercial real estate, the biggest factor to focus on is the interest rate, because generally that is tied, that if if interest rates go up, your NOI, your your your, um, your return goes down, and uh, and that will you know, affect pricing more. So I think more commercial investors are worried that cap rates will increase, which again, if you're a buyer, that's great. But if you're trying to sell, that's awful. If you bought it 
uh, at a low cap rate, which is a high price, you got to sell it <laughs> at a higher cap rate. It's a lower price. You're going to take losses. And we're seeing that in the market right now. Like, it, you know, locally in, in Washington, it, we're, we're apartment buyers. We typically have been buying 20 to 30, 40 units at a time. That's kind of the space we've had to hang out in because the big hedge funds have been buying these properties. Like if it was above 40, 50 units, the hedge funds were buying. They're buying at like a three cap, which is bizarre to me. I don't. I don't understand why anybody would want a three cap, but as the as the rates have increased and their cost of money's increased, and now the bonds that they can also redeploy into and get a, a good return, we've seen them really dry up. And I mean, it's it, we just recently locked up an eighty unit, and we got a five seven cap or five six to five seven cap on that, which was not in existence the last twenty four months. So the cap rates are definitely getting better, especially in the bigger spaces. We've been getting good cap rates in the small value add for the last 10 years in our local market, but we had to put in a lot of work to get it there. Now we can buy a little bit cleaner in that space because it's less competitive. And the opportunities are definitely there uh, because, again, we could not touch that product. Um, you know, I think that the property that we're in contract on, it was, it was pending twice prior to the rates really spiking for two and a half to $3 million more than we're paying for. And so as, as the rates come up, pricing comes down, gives way more opportunities out there. And then also to think about too, the debt coverage service ratios are changing rapidly right now too. And so investors have to leave a little bit more capital in the game too. So it's, it's really slowing everything down, but it's, it's creating a lot better opportunity and a way healthier market to invest in because you should not be getting into a three cap, or at least that's my firm. Yeah, I just it's crazy. It's insane. <laughs> it's disgusting. Yeah, it grosses me out. I don't know. I just it's not <laughs> like earn some money, you know. But now the, the investments are more balanced and they're there to to buy, which is great. Generally, I think like yeah, there's a lot of factors that go into the cap rate that something trades for, but I think generally speaking, they're going to expand and it's going to become more of a buyer's market. But it, we have to remember that multifamily, at least multifamily, uh, or ex excuse me, that um, commercial, specifically multifamily, is not it's is based off rents. And if rents keep going up, I don't think we're going to see cap rates expand too much. I mean, they probably will just because of interest rate, but there probably will still be fair demand from investors if if rents keep going up because it's still going to be one of the better, more attractive options in real estate, I think. And that's going to be a big if because Yardy Matrix just came up and said uh, rents were unchanged. Mm -hmm. And then apartment list said there were actually declines. Did so, mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's really good because we had a production meeting before this, and that's going to be one of our upcoming shows. We, I, I saw some headlines about that, and we're going to do some research and dig into that. So thanks, Kathy. All right. Well, Kathy, great job. Henry, James, also great job. I guess we're, we're not as cool. We don't get the specific questions asked for us, but, uh, it's okay. I'm, I'm not that offended. Um, but. Thank you all for being here. This was a lot of fun. We're gonna we'll we'll come back to this and and check out how our predictions and forecasts did in about a year. Um, but in the meantime, it'll be very fun to uh, or at least very interesting. I don't know about fun to there see what happens over the next couple months. And obviously, for everyone listening, we will be coming to you twice a week, every week, with updates on the housing market. Before we go. If you like on the market, if you are so impressed by our incredible foresight and ability to predict the future, please give us a five-star review. We really appreciate that either on Apple or 
on Spotify. And we would love if you share this with a friend, if you have know someone who's interested in real estate investing, someone who just wants to buy a house and is trying to understand what's going on in the housing market, please share this podcast, share the love. Uh, we work really hard to get this out to all of you. We know that uh, a lot of you at BPCon were telling us how much value you get from it. So share the love with your friends in your community as well. Kathy, Henry, James, thanks a lot. We appreciate you. I'll see you all soon. On the Market was created by me, Dave Meyer, and Kalen Bennett. The show is produced by Kalen Bennett with editing by Exodus Media. Copywriting is by Calico Content, and we want to extend a big thank you to everyone at Bigger Pockets for making this show possible. The housing market is changing, and finding your way right now can be a bit tricky. There are rate shifts, there are confusing headlines, but at the end of the day, your goal hasn't changed. You probably still want financial freedom as much as ever. Well, the good thing is that experienced investors know it's not about trying to time the market, it's about the amount of time you have in the market. And if you're ready to get into real estate investing game, you can still do that, or you can take your game to the next level by finding an investor-friendly agent. With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in just a few minutes. You head over to biggerpockets.com deals, enter in some details about what you want, where you want to buy, and boom, you instantly get matched with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. This free resource is only available at biggerpockets.com deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com deals. That's biggerpockets.com deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investments in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.